you know, Christians and believers in you throughout this city, Lord. Um, we're meeting, gathering today to worship you. And uh, right here in this space right now, we want to pray for Andrew. Lord, we pray for our pastor. We pray for this word that you've given to him. We pray for the worship that we've already received and the worship we're about to step into. Yeah. And may you speak powerfully through your servant, Lord. And may we walk away um, knowing you better, more encouraged. And yeah, thank you for this time, Jesus. Amen. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Can we thank Allison? Um, hey, so good morning, good morning. Uh, before I start uh, the message, I want to uh, actually tell you about an upcoming course that I'm running here at The Vine that you might want to be interested in and come, come and be a part of. Uh, so starting on Wednesday, uh, March 8th, for five Wednesdays, uh, I'm going to be teaching a story about a, a course about the Bible. Uh, it's going to be called The Story of God. And what I'm going to do over five weeks, if you're interested in coming, is helping you to understand the whole breadth of the Bible. Uh, one of the great questions that we often have is, how does the whole Bible fit together? How do I read it? How do I understand all the different elements that are there in Scripture? Um, and I want to take five weeks to unpack to you the thing that I'm most passionate about, and that is Scripture. And we're going to go through Genesis all the way to Revelation. As we do that together, I'm going to give you a renewed passion for reading the Bible. If you're sitting there and saying, in 2023, I want to invest more in how I read the Bible. If you're saying, I've never really fully understood the whole narrative of Scripture. How does this fit in with that? If you're wondering how Jesus is the center of all of the narrative of Scripture, that's what this course is about. And, and I'm excited to be able to teach that with you over five weeks. Uh, it is limited to 100 people. Um, so first come, first serve. If you want to sign up, you have to scan that little QR code. Uh, there's also information on our website. Uh, come and join me and maybe the Bible bring you alive. Does that sound right? All right, there you go. That's it. That's my plug. My plug is done. Uh, let, me, let me now talk to you about what I'm sensing God has got in his heart for us. Um, uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, I was at a cocktail party. And uh, I, I, despite being an extrovert, I don't actually love cocktail parties. And one of the reasons is because, you know, you know what it's like when you're at a cocktail party, you get a little glass of wine and you're kind of walking around and you're mingling and, and inevitably you're going to come up uh, and meet somebody that you don't know, a complete stranger. And you know in Hong Kong, if you meet a stranger at a cocktail party and you're doing a little kind of small talk to begin with, you know within about 60 seconds, the inevitable Hong Kong question will be asked. Do you know what that question is? So what do you do? Yes, that is the inevitable Hong Kong question. And I think there are two reasons why I do not like this question. Here's the first reason. Because normally when this question is asked by somebody to somebody else, it's because they're trying to construct a social hierarchy uh, and trying to understand, are you more important or am I more important than you? Right? So are you a lawyer, a banker, or something like that? Or are you just something else? You know, I want to know, where are we in the social hierarchy of things? So, so people ask that question question to find out exactly where they are. So what do you do is essentially a question to find out if they're better than you. Here's the thing I've discovered. The people that ask that question the fastest are the ones who are most proud about their answer. Here's the second reason why I don't like this question. Because I don't like my answer. Now, now, don't get me wrong. I love being a pastor, okay? I love this job. It is my life. I am proud, not ashamed of being a pastor. But there's something uncomfortable about a cocktail party and pastors. Nobody expects to meet a pastor at a cocktail party. 
They're like, if I go to a church, I can expect to meet a pastor, right? But I don't want to go to a cocktail party and meet a pastor. It's awkward because people immediately think I'm going to do one of two things. They think either one, I'm like a Jedi master who immediately knows everything bad they have ever done, right? And they're like totally kind of freaking out that I'm reading all of the past mistakes that they've made, right? The second thing is they think I'm going to be some like used car salesman and I'm going to try to to sell them religion for the next five minutes of which they want nothing to do with. So more often than not, if they ask me what I do and I say I'm a pastor, that's a very quick way to shut down the conversation. It's literally like me saying, I'm a cannibal. Would you like to come over for lunch? <laughs> so I've devised a new question that I ask at cocktail parties. So there I am with my glass of wine mingling in a cocktail party and there are some strangers coming up to me and we're about to embrace in a conversation. And before they can ask me, so what do you do? I ask them now a different question. So I was at this cocktail party a couple of weeks ago. This very businessy looking guy comes up to me. We start chatting. Before he can even begin to get there, I say this to him. I say, so in your business here in Hong Kong, what's the number one goal that you have for your business? I don't want to know what you do. He replied, he was taken aback. He was like, oh, good question. He was like, uh, I, uh, I guess it's to make profit for my shareholders. So then I follow up with another question. I say, well, well, for the people that you have, what's the number one thing they can do to contribute to that goal? And he said, I guess that would be to take calculated risk. Interesting. Now, I did all that because I knew that he was going to ask me the question back, right? And sure enough, within about a minute, he's like, so tell me in your business in Hong Kong, what is the number one goal that you have for your business? And I'm like, funny that you ask. I said, uh, I said well, uh, in my business here in Hong Kong, we want people in Hong Kong to flourish. We want them to have the best life that they can have. And he's like, what's the number one thing that your people can do to ensure that that happens for them? You want to know what I said? Take courage. Have courage. You need to know, every single one of you in this room, that I'm a pastor because of you. What I do is on your behalf. I love every single one of you. The ones that I know really well in this room, the ones that I don't even know well, the strangers who have just shown up today, I still love you too. And my 100% heart is that I want you to live the life that you have been created for. And if you are going to live the life that God has created you for, that is going to demand courage. If your life doesn't scare you, you should get a new life. Because you have been created to live a life that brings glory to Christ. You have been created to live a life that actually shows the world what human flourishing is all about. You have been called to be in Hong Kong in this time as somebody who can be a purveyor of the hope and the justice and the love and the mercy and the power and the glory of Jesus. And that will take courage for you to stand up in your workplace and say, this is what I believe in. For some of us, it'll take courage to take an ethical stance when everybody else around us is going in the other direction. Some of us, it'll take courage to not be ashamed for the gospel when we're in an environment that doesn't embrace that gospel. The life you've been called to live is not a passive, boring life. You've been created for a life that demands courage. 
I think our greatest danger for Christians in Hong Kong in this hour that we're in is to see the kind of radical gospel-centered life that we want and yet fail to embrace it because we lack the one ingredient that is needed for every decision to get us to that life. And that is the ingredients of courage. I want to talk to you today about the kind of life that I think God has for you. And I want to inspire you to rise up in courage. The good news is, is that the Bible has a whole lot to say about this idea of courage. In fact, in Scripture, uh, courage is connected into three things. If you look through the breadth of Scripture in this topic of courage, you'll find that it connects in three primary areas, in fear, in failure, and in faith. These are the three things that connect to the topic of courage in Scripture. Now, I, I want to start with the first one, fear, because I think it's the most critical. Now, now I want you to think about if, if there was this kind of line or this spectrum, and if you have courage on this side of the spectrum, what do you think sits on the other end of it? In other words, what is the opposite of courage? The majority of us think that the opposite of courage is fear. We think fear is on the other end of courage. And if out of, in order for us to have courage to flourish in life, we have to, first of all, kind of get rid of fear. Once we can get rid of fear, then we can be courageous. But the Bible is very clear that the opposite of courage is not fear. Fear is actually not your enemy. Fear is an emotion created by God which actually has some great benefits for your life. Fear is not your enemy. The opposite of courage is not fear. The opposite of courage, according to Scripture, is this idea of cowardice. That's the opposite of courage, cowardice. If courage is making positive choices and decisions so you can live the life that God has created you to live, cowardice is making poor decisions, making weak decisions that take you away from the kind of life that Christ has called you to. Fear is not the opposite of courage. Fear actually sits between courage and cowardice. Fear is the vehicle that will take you in one direction or another. Let me say it this way. No one has ever been courageous without first facing fear. Likewise, fear has the power to drive you towards cowardice. In fact, fear in its nature can always be so overwhelming to us that if we let it dictate our thinking, if we let it dictate how we think about the world, how we think about God, how we think about ourselves, it's more often not going to take us towards cowardice rather than in the other direction. But actually, courage created by God as this kind of emotion at work in us can be a reminder to us that it's time for us to step up. Fear can be a reminder to us that actually we do face difficulties in life, but we have a God who overcomes those difficulties. Fear, in other words, can be a great catalyst towards courage. Fear is not the enemy of courage. Fear is the way in which you either become more of a coward or more courageous. Are you with me? I love the way that Nelson Mandela put it as he was writing about courage. He said this, I learned that courage is not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who has conquered that fear. 
In fact, I would put it in a slightly different way for you. I would say this. Your greatest moments of courage will happen when you're feeling fear. Your greatest moments, your greatest actions of courage in your life will always happen when you're still wrestling with the reality of fear in your life. May fear propel us to those moments of great courage. The Bible also talks about failure. Now, failure is a big thing because failure has the power, of course, to lead us towards cowardice every time. Your brokenness in your past, the mistakes you've made can so easily shape our thinking towards the actions in our lives and push us towards cowardice, making weaker decisions about our future based on the mistakes or the failures that we've had in our past. Some of you in this room, you're making decisions about your future primarily through the lens of a failure of your past. Failure will push you towards cowardice. But equally, failure can move you towards even greater moments of courage. Because when you realize that that had happened in your past, but your past doesn't define you, when you come to understand that God and God alone defines you, when you come to realize that your future is good because Christ is involved in your yesterday, today, and forever, then you can take the failures of your past and you can release them and process them and give them to the Spirit of God and it can actually propel you to greater moments in your future. The same with faith. Or if the opposite of faith, maybe the opposite of faith would be something like self-doubt how we doubt ourselves and the ways in which, oops, I write in tongues, you need to pray for an interpretation, everybody. <laughs> Self-doubt is the reality that, that when we, we don't think enough of ourselves, we don't think of ourselves in the way that God thinks about us. And because of things that have happened in our past, we don't have that faith to believe that we can do anything good in the future. Of course, that's going to take us to cowardice. And yet also, once we realize that actually in our doubting of ourselves, Christ has redefined us with a new name, redefined us as a person who can move in the power of his spirit, then we can begin to head towards courage. So fear, failure, faith, and self-doubt are all actually helpful. They're realities in our life that will take us in one direction or another. And let me say this. The greatest moments of your courage will come in the presence of fear in the pain of your failure, and in the process of faith. I'm going to say that one more time. Your greatest moments of courage are going to come in the presence of fear, in the pain of your failure, and in the processing of your faith and self-doubt. Those will be the things that will bring you alive. I want to be honest with you guys today. I am a recovering coward. In fact, I would tell you in my 20s, in particularly my 20s and into my 30s, fear defined a lot of my life. I struggled with anxiety. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in a couple of weeks' time when we do a series on mental health. And I really struggled with that anxiety in my 20s, and that caused me to make weak decisions about my future. I've been honest with you guys as a church about my failures and the issues that I have in my own sort of insecurities that I have around the mistakes that I've made in my life and how those can also make me a coward. I've been pretty honest with you guys about some of the ways in which I've struggled with faith over the years. When my father passed away four years ago. Uh, I was racked with this horrible feeling of not, not trusting God anymore, being angry at God and wrestling with the self-doubt about even my faith as a pastor and what that meant. I've struggled deeply with these things. I would say I'm a recovering coward and I wonder whether some of you also in this room would resonate with that. 
I wonder if we'd all recognise that there are moments of cowardice in us all. And if you're feeling like that, guess what? You're in a really good place. Why? Because the Bible is a story of cowards. It's funny. When we read the Bible, we often think that the Bible actually is a story about incredibly naturally brave men and women. We read the stories of some of the biblical characters and we are, are kind of, you know, we sort of convince ourselves that they were just naturally amazing people, just amazing peoples in history who rose up and did great things. The reality, if you look between the lines of Scripture, is that pretty much every single person that God chooses, every single person that God speaks to, every single person that God is working with is a recovering coward. Everybody is struggling with fear, struggling with anxiety, and it's pushing them towards cowardice. And God comes along and says, I'm going to use you anyway. Here's the amazing thing about God. God chooses those who would never choose themselves. And God does this because he's revealing something about his glory and something about who he is. So if you, like me, are a recovering coward, guess what? You're not disqualified from being used by God. Your greatest moments are just ahead of you. Be courageous. I want to unpack this a little bit deeper today by taking you into the scriptures and a story of one such recovering coward. His name's Joshua. And we're going to go to the the most important segment of his story when God speaks those famous words for him to be strong and courageous. And I want to unpack a little bit about the journey of Joshua to help you somewhat in your understanding and journey as well. Is this helpful for some people already? Yeah? Yeah. All right. Joshua 1, starting in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I am about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river to the Euphrates, all the Hittite country as well, to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. Here it is. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law that my servant gave you. Do not turn from it from the right to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate it on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded Commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This is a critical time in Israel's history. Moses has led Israel out of the slavery in Egypt and brought them all the way to the corner, to the edge of the promised land. They're standing on one side of the river Jordan and they can see the promised land just on the other side. But Moses knows he's not the one who's going to lead God's people into the promised land. It's a new leader. This young guy, Joshua, who will now take up that mantle of leadership and move them across the water. And this is the moment where it happens. And Joshua is a coward. He's terrified. He's so terrified that God needs to show up and say some very important things to him to get him the courage that he needs to be able to step forward in the thing that is his destiny. 
Now, you've got to remember that it is Joshua himself who is writing these words. So as we read this, remember, this is Joshua describing the events himself. Notice in verse 1, he tells us so much about himself. He says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, the first thing he says is, there's this death of Moses. And I want you to see how Joshua describes Moses. He says, servant of the Lord. Joshua could not have given Moses a more glorifying title than that. In the Old Testament, if you're going to speak powerfully of someone, honor them, look, look up to them, speak highly of them. If you were to say they are a servant of the Lord, that said everything. You're saying that basically God and this person are partners together. But by Joshua saying this, he's like saying Moses was the one. Moses led God's people. He was in intimate relationship with God. He saw face to face. He was the servant of the Lord. This guy was amazing. This is Joshua fanning into flame how much he honors and glorifies and looks up to Moses as someone who had such a powerful relationship with God that he could change everything. And Joshua does not feel the same about himself. Here's the servant of the Lord, Moses, but Moses is now dead and the pressure is now on me. And you can sense that Joshua is overwhelmed with that pressure because transition is hard. I, I know that from personal experience because our previous senior pastors, John and Tony, who led this church incredibly, handed over the church to me 10 years ago and it came onto my shoulders to lead the church forward. Now, thankfully, they didn't die like Moses did. That's a really good thing. In fact, Tony's sitting right here right now. <laughs> He's alive! So you didn't have to die for me to take over. That's a good thing. But, but in the same way that Joshua saw Moses as servant of the Lord, without being too, too much hyperbole, I looked at John and Tony as servants of the Lord. They were men that God had called to take a, a very small church of 20 people and grow it to the size that it was when I took it over. They had done such phenomenal things. They had led this church so faithfully. I looked up to them so deeply. They were my spiritual fathers. They still are my spiritual fathers. And, and they're like the servant of the Lord. And when I took on the vine, I felt just like Joshua. Who am I? I haven't done the things that they've done. I haven't achieved what they've achieved. I'm not even the same age that they are. I'm younger by like 20 years. What does it mean? Joshua, younger than Moses, having seen Moses do all this great stuff. And now he's standing in a place and he's like, who am I compared to this? Joshua's like, can I do it? I want you to notice something really important. Notice how Joshua labels himself. He says, Moses, the servant of the Lord, he said to me, Joshua, son of Nun." Moses' aid. He just said, Moses is the servant of the Lord. You want to know who I am? I'm the servant of Moses. I'm his aid. I've been his assistant. When he's been doing all this great stuff with God and leading these people really well, man, I'm just the son of none. And none did nothing. And I'm the assistant to the one who did it all. I'm just an aid. This is a, a, a powerful thing because Joshua doesn't see in himself what God is currently seeing in him. Joshua is in a place where the thing that he's going to need courage for is to redefine who he actually is. And I want you to know this, the thing that you're always going to need courage for first in your life before you do anything else is the courage to redefine yourself in the way that God sees you. That is going to take great courage in you. 
to really believe that you are the person that God says you are, to really embrace the idea that as a Christian holding the name of Christ, you are somebody who actually has something to say in this world, that despite your brokenness and your failures and your pains and the bad mistakes you've made and the sin that even still continues in your life, God looks down on you and says, my son, my daughter, I see you. I love you. I'm for you. And through my son, Jesus, you can achieve all the things that I have designed and planned for you. And yet so often we're not defined by what God says. We're defined by what the world says. Or we're defined by what our fears say. We're defined by our failures. We're defined by our self-doubts. And, and, and here's, here's, here's Joshua having to go on a journey from saying, Moses, a servant of the Lord, me, the aid to Moses, to know me, a servant of the Lord. Some of you in this room, the thing you need courage for right now in this time of your life is to make that journey as well. To make the journey from like, whoa, that person over there, man, oh, they're awesome. To actually going, no, I, actually, we're the priesthood of all believers. Actually, I have the same authority Andrew has. Actually, I have the same gifting. I, I have the same spirit in me. That the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is not just in a pastor, not just in a leader, not just in my small group community leader. It's actually in me as well. I need the courage to redefine myself in the way that God sees me. Some of you need to go on that journey because right now, here's how you're defining yourself. I'm fear's assistant. I'm the aid of self-doubt. Some of you are so caught in that space that it's not a wonder that you're not finding this courage rising up inside of you. Notice what God says in verse five here to Joshua as he's trying to redefine himself. He says in verse five, he says, no one will be able to stand against you all of the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. In other words, God has already redefined Joshua. He's already said, Joshua, you're not Moses' aid anymore. You're not Moses' assistant. I look down on you and you are my servant. You are now the servant of the Lord. As I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to do the same things. I'm going to give you the same authority. I'm going to show you my glory just like I showed him. There's a job ahead of you, which is even harder than the job that Moses was called to do, but I'm with you. I'll be with you every step of the way. I've redefined you. Joshua now needed to redefine himself. The courage to redefine yourself is the greatest courage you will ever need. Well, let me ask you it this way. Who do you have the courage to become? Think about that. Who do you actually have the courage to become? And some of you in this room, the courage you have right now is limiting the person that you are to be. And there is no more important time in Hong Kong's history right now for us to rise up in the courage to become the church that this city needs, the courage to become the people our businesses need, the courage to become the teachers that our schools need, the courage to become the husbands that our wives need. Are you with me, church? The courage to begin to live in the way that we've been always called to live. So the great question is, where does this courage come from? How do I get it? Well, let me show you some things out of verse 2 and 3. Moses, my servant, is now dead. This is God speaking to Joshua. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I'm about to give them, the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. I want you to see something really important here. See, God starts out by saying, okay, you want to know where this courage comes from? He first of all talks 
to Joshua about his conditions. He says, you have some conditions. And these conditions are pretty scary. So there's a reason why you're feeling fear. There's a reason why you're a bit of a coward right now. Because yeah, Moses is dead. See, God is not hiding the conditions that actually Joshua is facing. Moses is dead. I'm now asking you to carry this nation forward. And guess what? There's a lot of tough stuff ahead of you. There's Jericho right ahead of you, one of those most fortified cities. There are armies that are bigger than your army. What is ahead is really tough. So, so God is not hiding the reality of conditions, but here's what God is trying to teach Joshua. He's trying to say to Joshua, if in order for you to have courage, you have to separate courage from your conditions. You have to learn to separate those two things. Because here's the reality. If your courage is actually based on your conditions, more likely than not, you will be suffering with fear, you will be embracing your failures, and you'll be filled with self-doubt, and that's going to take you towards cowardice. Because our conditions are tough. I mean, there's, there's a tough future ahead for all of us. I mean, there are so many changes that have happened in our city here. We are all still wondering, what is the future going to look like? There are challenges in all of our lives. And if you're not facing any challenges right now, you will be facing challenges in the future. Life is tough. And if our courage is connected to our conditions, we are more likely than not to make choices that will head us towards cowardice. If your trust is in your bank account and your bank account goes down, then you're going to feel fear. If your, your, your courage is found in your relationships in your lives and those relationships begin to break down, you're probably going to doubt yourself. You're going to feel a failure. You're going to make future decisions more towards cowardice. God is saying, stop connecting your courage with your conditions. Some of you in this room, that's a word in season for you because that's how you try to think of courage. You're connecting courage to what you think about your present and your future. When you do that, you will always be overwhelmed. And God is saying to Joshua, there's another way to live. I want to show you what actually God says to Joshua over the nine verses. He says a bunch of different things. But let me give you a summary of it on a slide here. He says, I will be with you. I'm going to lead you. Know my word. I will do the same things for you I did Moses. Do not be afraid. I'm here with you, present with you. Don't turn from my law. Basically what God does is he unpacks all of the ways in which God is present with him. And he says, don't look at your conditions. Look at me. Know my word. Know my presence. Know I'm with you. Know that my power is with you. I'm going to treat you the same as I did Joshua. In other words, what God's doing to Joshua is trying to shift him from thinking about his conditions to actually beginning to think about convictions. He's saying, are you convicted that I'm with you? Do you really believe that I'm here? Do you believe that I'm fighting battles for you? Do you truly believe that I'm going to be present with you like Moses? Because if your courage, I'm going to use another pen color here. If your courage is actually linked to your convictions, then fear is not going to overwhelm you. Your failures will not come to define you and your self-doubt will move to faith, which will propel you to acts of courage. Our courage has to be founded not in conditions which lead us to cowardice, in convictions which release us into better decisions which bring us into a courageous life. And God, God is saying over Joshua, be strong and courageous. I, I love this. He repeats it three times. And one time he says, I command you. I, I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way. God commands Joshua 
to be courageous, which is really fascinating to me because what he doesn't say to Joshua is pray and ask for courage. He doesn't say, ask me for courage. He doesn't say, sit there and wait under a tree until one day I magically drop courage in you, enough for you to live the life that I want you to live. He says, I demand, I command you to find courage. And the question is, where do we find it? Well, we don't find it in our conditions, which is what Joshua was doing. We find it in our convictions. And when we do so, we realize we already have everything we need for courage. Courage is not a spiritual gift. Never mentioned that way in Scripture. Courage is not one of the nine fruits of the Spirit. You know what courage is? Courage is within you already. That's why God can command it out of you. Be courageous. In other words, we don't ask God to give us courage. We realize that God has already done everything possible for us to have courage. You have Jesus and his life, and his death, and his resurrection. You have the one who has overcome death. You have the one who has now positioned himself over your life. You are now called his son and his daughter. You have everything inside of you already. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is also now in you. You don't need to ask God for some additional power or miracle or a a flow of his courage, and then I'll act courageous. God's saying, be strong and courageous because your convictions will drive you to a courageous life. If you want to step up. If you want to begin to act in the way that I've called you to be, I wanted to come out of you. Believe Jesus really said what he said. Believe that he did what he did. Believe that he's in this world working right now. And when you align yourself to the conviction that Jesus is actually alive, that the Bible actually tells us the truth, then we find courage rising up inside of us. And although our conditions might be difficult, they will not drive us to cowardice. We will propel ourselves to more courageous acts. So let me define courage for you in the way that I think God is speaking to it, Joshua. Let me, let me define it this way for you. Courage is a fervent and resolute strength within us that leads to positive action and change as a result of focusing on internal convictions over and above external conditions. That's where courage comes from. That's why God can command it into his people and command it out of his people. Have courage. And as I close, I'm going to give you three practical ways this week you can put courage into practice. Is that good? Three practical things really fast. Here's the first one. Be prepared to be scared. I said it earlier. If your life doesn't scare you, get a new life. Be prepared to be scared. You're going to have to face fear. If you want to live the life that Christ has called you good, I I want you to live a life that demands courage. That means that there is going to be fear, that you're going to have to face some difficulties. It's going to be difficult. If you're prepared to be scared, what it means is that when fear comes, it doesn't surprise you. It doesn't bowl you over. It might still be overwhelming. It might still be huge. But you're able to actually separate yourself a little bit from the fear, realizing that the fear is not your identity. A fear is just a feeling often about certain conditions that are happening in your life. And you can somewhat put that to one side of you, look at it and say, I'm not defined by that fear, but that fear is a reminder to me to rise up in courage. So, so when we expect fear, we expose it and then we can exit from it, okay? Very easy, very simple. Be prepared to be scared. Here's the second thing, change your focus. Some of us in this room, our focus is predominantly on our conditions, and we're wondering why we don't live a life of courage. 
Some of you need to change your focus away from your conditions to your convictions. It doesn't mean we ignore our conditions. If there's a bill to pay, we need to pay our bills. Okay? <laughs> I don't want you to go away and say, Andrew told me I could just forget all my conditions. And just believe that God will provide. Okay, it doesn't quite work like that. Okay, conditions are important in life, right? What, what the teaching here, what God is saying to Joshua is, don't have your life founded on what your conditions are telling you. You need to focus more on your convictions. And when you do that, when you change your focus, you'll find courage coming. Some of you this week, just simply it is to recognize your conditions, not ignore them, be honest about them, just like God was honest about them with Joshua. But it is then to say, but God, I live by faith. And I choose to find my courage in who you are, not in what all of this is saying about who I am. Here's the final one. Shift your what-ifs. It's really interesting. When your courage is based on your conditions, you have lots of what-ifs. Here are your what-ifs. What if I fail? What if it doesn't work out? What, what if the person gives up on me? What if I don't get that promotion? What, what, if, what, if, what if I don't get that raise? What, what if I have that argument with that person? And we have all these negative what-ifs when we focus on our conditions. But when we begin to think about our convictions, your what-ifs change. And suddenly you're saying, what if God came through? What if the miracle did happen? What if the Bible was actually true? What if the same spirit that raised Christ in the dead was actually in me? And if that was really true and I really believed that, what if I made decisions based on that? See, when we shift to convictions, our what-ifs change, and we begin to speak more positive what-ifs around our life. Not what if I fail, but what if actually I succeed. Right. On Sunday, the 3rd of November, 2013, it was the first Sunday I was senior pastor here at The Vine. The, the Sunday before, John and Tony had handed over to me in a lavish ceremony here at The Vine. It was very lovely. But the next Sunday, here I was, and I was terrified. My first Sunday as the senior leader here, standing right here at the front with my wife, Christine, during worship time. And everybody, worship! Me going, <laughs> because I hadn't redefined myself as a servant of the Lord. I was still just the assistant to John and Tony. And right there in the worship time, one of our elders, Blair Donaldson, no one was looking, no one was watching. He came over, he put his hands on my shoulders, and he looked me in the eyes, and he said, be strong and courageous. And so I stand before you today as a recovering coward, way more courageous today than I was back then. And I stand over you and I put my hands on your shoulders and I say, be strong and courageous because your city needs it. You need it. Your families need it. Your workplaces need it. Do not live a life of cowardice. Embrace the convictions of your faith and rise up in courage. Be strong and courageous. Can I pray for you guys? Let's pray. I want you to stand with me and, and we're going to pray. Father, I am deeply privileged to be in a room with these people and those that are watching online right now. Lord, what a privilege it is for us to stand in this moment before you and Lord, every single person here has a different story. Every person has a different thing going on in their lives, a different thing that they're going to need courage for. Father, I thank you that here at The Vine, we're committed to living the best life possible, a life of flourishing. 
But Lord, I think the honest confession of many of our hearts today would be more often than not, or maybe another way to say it, too often, Lord, I know that I make weak decisions. Weak decisions based on my fears, based on my failures, weak decisions that are based on my self-doubt, that are all founded in the conditions around me that lead me to being a coward for you in a time when I need to be courageous. The Lord has already poured out absolutely everything you'll ever need for the courage that you need to live the life that He's called you to live. And so as you stand before Him today, know that He is here for you in whatever area you need. Some of you in this room, it's in fear. You know that fear is largely defining a lot of the decisions you're making right now. I think that's particularly for some of you here about your future. You're allowing fear to define the decisions you're making about your future. And you're making weak decisions about your future based on fear. The Lord wants to release that from you today and give you the courage to make better decisions. Some of you here, you've been so wracked by, by guilt because of past mistakes you've made. You know, it's interesting, God calls Moses to go back to Egypt because God wanted Moses to face his fears and his mistakes before he could truly lead God's people to the promised land. Some of you need to go back and face some of the mistakes. And the greatest amount of courage you're gonna need is to, to do that. And I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to release you today. Courage is not having all the right answers. Courage is being willing to ask the questions that you've been putting off for a long time. Some of you in this room need to ask and face some of those questions that you've been putting off a long time. And I believe that the Lord is gonna give you courage to do that as you find yourself in His convictions. Some of you in this room need to redefine yourself You still see yourself as this person's aide or this person's assistant. Maybe you're in an environment in your office where there's people better than you. And that's a reality for all of us. Somebody once told me that if I'm the smartest in the room, I should find a new room. We're always gonna be surrounded, hopefully, by people who are better, smarter, maybe more accomplished than we are. Do not allow their accomplishments to define yours. Some of you in this room need to realize that actually you're far more gifted than you thought. That actually God's got a role for you. That God's got something that He wants to say to you. And He wants you to rise up to make courageous decisions, not decisions out of cowardice because you're comparing yourself to someone else, but decisions out of your convictions that will propel you forward into the future that God has prepared for you. Father, whatever it might be for whoever it is in this room, Church, this is an important moment. Take the time right now. Just invite the Holy Spirit to whatever area it is that you're looking for. And like I said before, this is not about God coming and anointing you with courage. This is about you doing your work, led by the Spirit, 
to find that courage within you. Courage is a decision. It's a choice. May you, based on the convictions of your faith, make better choices. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you as we now minister together in worship.